Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 511. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And we're joined by one of our Facebook official Patreon supporters this week. Hi, Kirsten. Hello. Welcome. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing good. Great. I understand you are in a hotel room today, so we appreciate you podcasting while traveling. That's and, dedication. Yeah. And you told me before recording that you were considering podcasting from your hotel room's mica chair. I mean, it seemed appropriate. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be great. The best thing would be if you could sit in that chair and then just in a low rumbling voice go, I was breastfed. <laughs> uh, that's like an, for anyone who doesn't get that, that's an old show throwback. So you're just going to have to like go back to episode one and work your way up. <laughs> we, should, we should tell them because it's amazing. So one of our friends, Micah, we've s- spent a lot of time in hotel rooms with him because we'll travel together. And he always migrates to that one chair that sits in the corner of the hotel room. And it's always his chair. And what cracks us up is just how dedicated he has always been to that one chair. You know, it's been a joke on the show for so long that we included the Micah chair in our album art <laughs> when we got it redone <laughs> last year. It's just great. So thank you, Kirsten, for considering us. Oh, speaking of Micah, we got a random confessional from somebody who wants Micah and my boyfriend, Mark, to read like a steamy, erotic fanfic together. Oh, no. They do have uh, voices that could jive well i think well yes i agree with that they're both very bassy isn't that right micah yes <laughs> it's been a minute since i heard that one kirsten i'm curious since you have been a longtime listener of the show is there ed- has there ever been anything that we've done or said that's really annoyed you well i think i put on the questionnaire that you guys sent out um i think it was during what i call the 420 saga when there were so many 420 jokes there was a comment that you made that something about like sex changes your personality or changes you as a person or something. And as someone who is asexual, I was just like, Oh no, no, no. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) I walked right into that one though, for asking that I should have known you had a problem with me. (laughs) We'll talk more about uh, you being asexual actually later in the show and we're also going to talk about your work in the child welfare system because you have experience there we're curious to hear about that pat and i did go to florida last week he went to disney world for his first time we had a great time i was really impressed by the park technology all the fast passing the dining reservations the wait times it's all viewable in the app there's no gate at the park entrance anymore you just tap your magic band up against this a little stand and you just continue walking right in 
the the magic band can even track you as you get on a ride you don't tap anything you just get on the ride and there's some sensor i guess in the vehicle and then it assigns your on-ride photo to your account you don't have to do anything you just ride the ride and it gives you the photo digitally through the app i was like really impressed by how disney world has been improving and pam it makes disneyland look archaic because they still have paper fast passes they still have traditional gates it's funny how far behind disneyland has fallen compared to disney world yeah yeah i think that i think they're starting to change it up i went in when was the last time i was at disneyland probably for christmas and now you do have to show your park ticket with your paper fast pass which is kind of weird oh which kind of sucks because like you know, before, if you had extra fast passes and you saw like a family leaving, you could just be like, hey, you guys want these because we're leaving and you can have these and go get on this ride that we're not going to do anymore. And now it's like <laughs> very strict. So I'm wondering if they're gearing up for uh, some kind of weird revamp. Um, but yeah. I thought that that was a really weird change to now have to have parents, especially with younger kids, take out not just like one slip of paper, but two per family member. I still do find Disneyland to be the better park, by the way. The rides, just Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, even Haunted Mansion. There's just differences that make the Disneyland versions much better. Uh, But something that Disneyland does not have is this new Toy Story Land. It opened up about a year ago. They have this coaster called the Slinky Dog Dash, and it is so stinking cute. It was the last ride we did. We, We were able to knock out so many rides over the two and a half days we were in the parks um but we did slinky dog dash last and oh my gosh i don't know what it is but it's like it it's a kid coaster but it goes fast and it has pretty big drops and quick turns so it's it's so much fun for adults too and just riding in slinky who talks to you during the coaster as well it's just it just brings you so much joy. Me and my family, we had such a great time on it. I would highly recommend it to anybody. Um, Toy Story Land is kind of boring besides that, even though it's awesome seeing all the being surrounded by all the Toy Story uh, characters and whatnot. And the Toy Story Mania ride is great, too, but that isn't new. I, I Wait in line for Slinky Dog Dash. It's going to be a long wait. If you can't fast pass a wait in line anyway, it's, it's just a joy. And I also want to recommend trying the character dining in the parks this is something i had never done before you go to one of these disney restaurants not all of them have this but you you get to dine with the characters basically you're sitting there eating your food for a little while and at some point during your meal the characters come out and they just come right up to your table and you can do whatever you want with them they'll play around with you like stitch was fucking around with us it was it was really cute mickey came around uh lilo came around we were at uh ohana so it was kind of a lilo and stitch themed restaurant um, it was just excellent. I had a great time meeting the characters while eating breakfast. So, uh, so try out character dining next time you go to a Disney park. And um, I also just want to give a shout out to Haley, uh, a listener of the show who's become a friend of ours. She was hooking us up with uh, quick access to rides and the parks in general. So thank you, Haley. Pat had a great time. He loved it so much that this morning he was looking at jobs at Disney California and Disney Orlando. So I guess now he wants to leave <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> guess you're going to have to move again. Yeah, I guess so. My place is up for rent. Who wants to move to Chicago? <laughs> um, well, speaking of really fun things, I had to take my dog for surgery over the weekend, but I was able to submit a claim 
through her insurance policy that I obtained via Policy Genius. This isn't an ad. This is just me saying that this was my week. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. I'm glad to hear it actually worked out. See, people, I haven't been lying about Policy Genius. Yeah, and based off my policy and the percentage back it gives, plus what it covers, I should be getting about half of what I spent back. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's really good. And that'll easily add up over time, too. You'll just keep saving more and more. Exactly. Also, some exciting news for a millennial over the course of the last week. We were selected as one of Feedspot's top 20 millennial podcasts on the web. Specifically, we were number eight. Not really sure what, you know, the other seven did better than us. But, you know, hashtag blessed. We were number eight because eight is great. So they put us at eight. Oh, there we go. Well, thanks, Feedspot. Yeah, that's nice to see. We always like uh, seeing recommendations posted online because it helps new people discover the show. And speaking of discovering the show, we are very excited to announce that we are now ramping up our social media presence. So we occasionally do stuff on Twitter and Facebook. But um, other than the posts announcing the new episodes, our presence on social media hasn't been very reliable. Well, no longer. We have actually hired one of our listeners, Jewel, to head up managing our social media channels. This not only uh, involves Twitter and Facebook, but also our Instagram. Our Instagram is coming back to life after laying dormant (laughs) for a couple of years. (laughs) So please follow us, particularly on Instagram, because we haven't been promoting that one lately at all. Instagram.com slash millennial show. We're going to tease what's coming up on each episode. We're also going to promote each episode by releasing a couple of clips right there. So you can easily get a sneak peek of the episode. By the way, starting now, all episodes of Millennial are going to also be available on YouTube. We're posting them on YouTube now because we think it'll help new people discover us. So if for some reason you enjoy listening to content through YouTube, check out millennial over on youtube and every episode will be posted there that's all before we have our chat with kirsten we've got a quick word for you from one of our sponsors bioclarity bioclarity is a garden given skin loving beauty brand that wants to help you achieve beautiful naturally glowing skin their green skin care line offers essential products to help clear up and calm your skin or keep it balanced and on track with daily nutrients. I have a lot of redness in my face and over the last year, BioClarity has really helped tone that down. So it's become a regular part of my skincare routine. I personally use the essentials routine for normal or dry skin. It's a three-step regimen that is packed with gentle nutrients that nurture your natural radiance. It comes with everything you need to nurture, hydrate, and restore your skin. It's a three-step regimen that's packed full of detoxifying and calming nutrients, antioxidants, and a super special ingredient, Floralux from plants. You can only find Floralux in BioClarity. This is absolutely more than just a cleanser. It nourishes and soothes the skin. It also helps with redness, hyperpigmentation, and evens out skin tone and texture for a healthy glow. These products are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. On top of that, BioClarity offers a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee. 
Get healthier, more radiant skin by going to bioclarity.com. And right now for our listeners, you'll save 40% on skincare routines, plus an additional 15% off everything on their website. That's an incredible deal. But you need to enter our code MIL at checkout. So go to bioclarity.com and get 40% off skincare routines, plus an additional 15% off everything on their website when you use our code MIL at checkout. All right, Kirsten, let's turn our attention to you now. So when we have people apply to become a co-host on the show, we ask to get a little bit of information about you so we know what to talk to you about. You told us you are asexual. And actually, another one of our listeners who was on a a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, told us uh, this as well. I'm curious, when did you realize that you're asexual? And how did you start coming out to people? So that's kind of a difficult question because um, I went through life knowing that there was something quote unquote wrong with me or that's the way I felt anyway. Um, And it wasn't until I shit you not, I was on Tumblr and I was reading definitions of, you know, different um, sexual orientations um, and I saw a definition for asexuality and I was like, that's it. That's that's me that there's a title there's a name for it so that was kind of the moment that i realized like one there wasn't really something wrong with me because people used to say to me um because the way my asexuality presents is i don't have a desire to masturbate i don't have a desire to have sex i don't desire to be in a romantic relationship with someone it's just not the way that i am And I had friends, you know, who would openly talk about um, their sex lives, uh, masturbating, things like that. And when I told them it's just not something I did, they would try to come up with a medical explanation. Oh, you have a low libido. You, you know, it's probably chemicals. It might be a thyroid issue, stuff like that. So that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe there's something medically wrong with me or something like that. But then seeing that definition, it was like, oh, no, there's a label for it. And this is that means there are other people like me. So was that a huge relief for you? And then did you go searching for other people like you? Because I figured that could help you just learn about being asexual. And maybe it would feel good to be surrounded by other people like you. Um, It did make me feel better, for sure. um, Because... I have a tendency to be a little bit of a hypochondriac. And like when someone suggests there's something medically wrong with me, I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking cancer. It's got to be cancer because Same. WebMD, man, it's it's always some sort of like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's toe cancer or something always. Um, does WebMD suggest you have cancer when you type in asexual? I bet it does. <laughs> I've never typed in asexual on WebMD, but they probably say something like, you've got butt cancer, dude. you don't want anything near your butt that's your problem (laughs) um as far as seeking out other people um i didn't go like searching for communities of people but i did start reading um others narratives about their asexuality and how it presented for them and it was just really nice to see that yeah so what do you think 
is the biggest misconception about being asexual? Like, do you say that to anyone and then they say something that seems like really stupid? Oh my gosh, yes. It's always the, oh, you just haven't found the right person. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you say that exactly. Fuck you. Um, I have. (laughs) If (laughs) If it's not someone I cared about, I was like, fuck off. Like, you don't know me. You don't know who I've met. I mean, I feel like it's similar to what people used to say, and maybe some people still say it. Oh, you just haven't found the right woman, or you just haven't found the right man to people who are homosexual. And it's like, no, I, I, you just know, like, yeah, right. To suggest that there is one special mythical person out there on this planet that would make you completely change who you are is really arrogant. Yes. I mean, and what hurts the most is it's people who claim to care about me. And it's like, I know they're coming from a place of ignorance. And even when I do try to explain asexuality and how it presents in myself, there it's always, oh, honey, I was just like you when I was your age. Really? Oh, wow. That's, That's crazy. Nice. Yeah. So when we had uh, Shania, I believe it was Shania Twain herself. She, <laughs> she said she is on the spectrum. Do you think you are on the spectrum or what? Actually, yes. Um, I have been tested and I am on the spectrum. So. so what are some of the other struggles that you have faced as someone who's asexual? People in the LGBTQIA community um, definitely face more pushback and more discrimination than people who are asexual. I think the biggest struggle is just helping people understand that this is a sexual orientation and that it's not something I'm going to outgrow because I grew up um, in the state of Oklahoma. It's incredibly conservative. It's very Christian. They call it the buckle of the Bible belt. And the number one thing was abstinence only. That I mean, that's the way you're not going to get pregnant, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, when I was going through church and I took the oath of chastity and, you know, worth the weight and whatever other stuff they had us do, you know, got the little promise ring, all yeah. our Jonas brothers. You're still um, wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you know, people were like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. And then, you know, turn 20, if you officially beat teen pregnancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, I'm getting to that age. I'm 29 now. And I'm getting to that age where people are like, oh, when are you going to get married? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to have kids? And it's like, oh, do you remember that worth the wait, that chastity promise, all that? Guess what? That's going to be the rest of my fucking life. No Mm -hmm. kids for you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You say this all with such confidence to people. I I absolutely love it. Do Do you date at all or are you just totally uninterested in that? I'm completely uninterested in it. Um, I I enjoy being with my friends. I enjoy being with other people. But the concept of a romantic relationship um, doesn't compute in my brain. It's just, 
I don't have a desire for that. I enjoy watching romantic comedies. I enjoy reading romance novels. I enjoy seeing my friends happy in relationships. But as far as like when I envision my future and myself, that it's not something that's there for me. Hmm. So you don't even feel the desire for just like intimate companionship, just like somebody you can, who's always there for you. Or do you have that type of person already? I don't have that type of person. And, you know, I see older people like in airports and things like that with their spouses. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'd like something like that. But then it's like, do I want that? Because I want the, I want security and I want someone who's like, who loves me and will be there to take care of me when I'm older? Or do I want that because I, I want to be in a romantic relationship? It's, it's, it's more of like a question of like, do I want this because I want some sort of security to know that there will be someone there when I'm older? Or do I want it because it's romantic or does that I'm not sure if that makes sense. No, it does. Because I think about it from the perspective of partnership. Partnership doesn't have to be romantic. I just think about like how much sometimes easier it can be to do certain things in this world that we live in that's very much like a bias towards monogamous relationships, wherein like buying property is easier if you've got dual incomes. You know, if I know in your case, you don't want children, but like say somebody did want to adopt children again, that's much easier to do if you have two people doing it. Does that make sense? So is that kind of the perspective you're coming at it from in terms of the security aspect of it? Yes, I think that's actually a really good explanation of it where it's like, I do consider like, when I go to buy my own home, um, when I go to do things, even when I go to retire, it's like, there would be security if there were another adult human there with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you think you will try to pursue somebody like that? As of right now? No, Um, that could change in the future. Um, But for as long as I can remember picturing my future, I've never pictured someone else there with me. I've pictured myself more as like the eccentric single lady that lives on the block with, you know, three cats and, you know, quotes Lord of the Rings when people step on her lawn or something. (laughs) (laughs) Your cat lady. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) No, I, I love it. And I think you should keep living your best life. I intend to. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder, tell me, are there any like dating apps for asexual people? Does that exist out there? I'm not saying you need to go on one of those, but I'm curious. Are you aware of these existing? I'm not aware of any. Um, if there are, I would definitely be curious to see what's out there just just out of like sheer curiosity. Right. Um, you know, that would be really interesting, though. Um, because we wouldn't have to explain ourselves. It would just be like, Hey, I'm asexual. This is how it presents for me. Because there are some, there are some people who are asexual who do have sex. It's just 
not often. So I found a website called Asexual Cupid. Oh, God. (laughs) I might be building a profile later. (laughs) (laughs) Come back next week and we will uh, help you build your profile. We'll just like help you write out a bio and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, because we're online dating experts here. We are. God knows we did it for long enough. (laughs) I'm looking for not dick. (laughs) (laughs) Or anything. (laughs) My bio would probably be like, I like cats. <laughs> I like cats in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and you know other people will see that and be like, she's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I think that, so. Yeah. You know what? I, I bet OkCupid and some of these other dating sites, they probably have areas where you can make clear you're asexual because, <clears throat> like, I know OkCupid back when I was on it. They There are a ton of questions you can answer. And I remember a couple of the questions being like, how important is sex to you? And I imagine they have some section uh, questions about asexuality. But maybe try asexualcupid.com instead. <laughs> I have considered um, setting up a profile on um, different dating apps just to see what's out there. Uh, however, I can't even play words with friends without jackasses sliding into my dms and like trying to start solicitous conversations with me so i'm just like do i really want to subject myself to the possibility of that yeah on a dating site and you know what i bet there are some weirdos out there who get off on the idea of uh having a sexual relationship with somebody who is asexual because they want to like try and break the curse so to speak like (laughs) i just feel like that would definitely turn people on Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's it's like Kirsten was saying earlier, it's the same shit with, I think it happens probably more frequently to lesbians where dudes will be like, oh, well, that's just because you haven't had me yet. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't, I don't want you to, your limp dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My so, magic dick is here to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> so I just looked on OkCupid and it turns out they have a bunch of different orientations you can choose they have asexual demisexual heteroflexible homoflexible lesbian pansexual queer questioning sapiosexual straight gay bisexual so you could go on okcupid and list yourself as asexual i could and see how many how many people try to slide into those dms just like (laughs) hey what up girl i got that magic dick it looks like Donald Trump's. It looks like what Toad from Mario Kart or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Toad. You know, we'll never look at him the same. Let's talk about your work in the child welfare system. How how did you get involved with child welfare? I needed to pay my student loans. Okay. That's a um, good reason fair. for... Yep. So the way I started out was... I was hitting, you, you know, you're, you start paying your student loans back after six months after you graduate. And I was getting close to that mark. And I noticed that the state of Oklahoma needed child welfare workers. And I'm like, you know, it'll be good to get my foot in the door, get some professional experience, things like that. Uh, put in my application, interviewed, they liked me, and they hired me. 
Can you share examples of the types of situations you saw? I imagine you've seen some really sad stuff. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm just going to preface this with trigger warning. So if violence against children is not your thing, come back <laughs> later, yeah. I guess. I don't know what to say. Fast forward. Uh, fast forward. Fast forward. Um, the majority of situations I saw were not as tragic as one would think. I mean, obviously, the things that are re- reported in the news are usually child death. Most of the things that I saw were just were parents who were raised a certain way and were doing better, but it still wasn't safe. So for example, you have a parent that was raised and when they were disciplined, their parents would beat them with an extension cord. So they're raising their child. And what they do is they beat their child with a slipper. And it's like, okay, well, good job on improving upon what you know. Um, let's, let's help you do better and understand that beating your child with a slipper is, although it's better than an extension cord is still not something we, we want to do. It should not be something we resort to. Um, then I had cases, for example, I had one case where the mom was pregnant. She had a two-year-old and a five-month-old and her partner she went out to walmart came back police were there child welfare was there and her five-month-old's stomach was on the outside of his body because (gasps) what oh my god because the the partner had beat the child and um the child survived happy healthy baby well my area of child welfare was after uh child protective services removed the child from the home and got the court order to do so the child was brought into the welfare system my area was permanency planning which was i'm going to work with the parents the goal is always reunification so to bring the child back home with the biological parent after they've completed a series of uh a series of services so in this instance it would be um, domestic violence survival services, um, parenting. Uh, she didn't, I don't think she had a job. So finding a job, holding down a career. And during this time, um, our role um, was was to make sure that she was completing her services. Mom was completing her services because obviously in this situation, dad went to jail. Um, she was completing her services she was getting visitation with her kids to maintain that bond and that contact and to make sure that she wasn't in contact with her violent ex because she had to prove she was a safe home for these children. Well, the children ended up going to live with relatives out in California. Um, While she was completing her services, she was doing well we moved from supervised visits to unsupervised visits to i'm trying to think of the technical term but i can't it's basically temporary placement which is the children are back in the home we're still coming out and doing visits and when you get to that point in the permanency planning system you're on your way to reunification you you are literally one step away well go out to do a visit and 
this this wasn't my case um but i did i did help the worker who was on this case so i had a lot of close contact with the kids and everything go out to the house um the electricity has been shut off okay that's not really a safety issue you know our great grandparents lived without electricity so we'll just like we figure out how to help resolve the situation that she's in does she need budgeting classes um does she need uh contact to um to to another department within uh de- the department of human services dhs uh to to receive uh, assistance for those things the food in the refrigerator was rotten um because we do check the fridge to make sure that there is food there she swung it open she swung it shut the the stench just hit you in the face so you knew the electricity had been off for a while Ugh. and then the 5 month old no that he was older at this point he was um he was walking around um you know he was babbling and walking around and he had like a a plastic bag in his mouth oh that, oh jesus what? christ <laughs> that that held something and he was chewing on it and the worker picked it up and she felt it oh and she's like is this weed oh no my god and the mom just snatches it out of her hand and like throws it away (laughs) so she you know weed is not a major drug i mean there are plenty of potheads that are great parents yeah, um, but it's in a child's mouth through yes. a plastic bag. Yes. And um, so this worker reported that, um, and I'm going to get into like some of the behind the scenes stuff of why it's really difficult to be a child welfare worker, um, apart from everything you've heard. <laughs> um, she was, uh, I want to say six months pregnant. Um, the worker was six months pregnant with her third child. And it was an incredibly high-risk pregnancy. Well, her obstetrician is like elbows deep in her pelvis, like checking on the baby, making sure everything's okay. And the supervisor is blowing up her phone, blowing up her phone, trying to get get in touch with her, knowing that she's at this doctor's appointment. And she had to go remove these uh, these three children because by this point, mom had had her third child um, from the home. So we go and we remove the children together and the children are in the office. We have to set up an appointment to get the five month old or not the five month old. He came in when he was five months um, to get the middle child who is chewing on the bag of weed, get his blood tested to make sure that he didn't have any exposure. And this is probably the most heartbreaking thing for me because you had his older brother who was no more than two. And there are things we see from abused children who have poor parents and we call it parentification or to be parentified. And what that means is you have children taking on the role that a parent would. And this two-year-old, and I'm going to try to tell this story without uh, crying. um, This two-year-old was feeding his younger sibling and getting his baby brother, his bottle, and tucking his siblings in to their car seats when they were upset and they needed to sleep. And this two-year-old, this oldest child, not even out of diapers himself, um, 
is doing all of this. And then when we tried to place them in foster homes, we we try to keep sibling groups together. He really struggled and really acted out and had a hard time because he was no longer in that role of the parent. There were actual adults there to do that. And he didn't know what to do. So he would freak out and he would just like yell for hours, like, like it consistently for like two hours, just yell until he wore himself out. Um, because, be, because he didn't know what to do and he was nonverbal at that point. So he couldn't, he didn't have any other way of expressing himself. Well, and that's incredibly awful because God, this kid is only think. two. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's then, just unbelievable. Yes. And then we found out that on top of having weed in the home and no electricity, that mom was in contact with her ex um, while he was in jail and she defended him. She said the reason why her five-month-old stomach had been on the outside of its body when the police showed up is because she, quote, fed him too much, end quote. And that was the moment that uh- we- yeah. Yeah. Same same reaction that we had. I like, eat a lot. I've never had that problem. It's like, <laughs> bitch, please. No. Yeah. Um, and that was the moment we realized you're never getting these kids back. You're like, yeah. you've proven you are unsafe. You had the opportunity. The kids ended up going back to California with their family. Parental rights were severed. Well, obviously, that was the uh, best thing that had to happen. So this yeah. sounds like really tough work and i think you told me that you were in it for a year did you leave because of just the the horrible things that you see and i imagine this had a toll on you so the moment that i realized i needed to leave was one weekend after a year of being in this job um and being on call 24 7 and never being able to go see a movie or take a nap or enjoy a weekend or travel or anything like that. I have one weekend where two of my favorite authors are coming to a bookstore locally, which never happens in Oklahoma. Authors never come to Oklahoma. And these are my two favorite authors. I'm so excited. I show up. I've got my books in my hand. I get them stickered. Um, I meet the authors, I get my book signed, you know, have a little conversation with them. And, you know, I'm walking out and one of my clients, one of my adult clients is there and he's like, Hey, Kirsten, how are you? And is talking to me. Okay, cool. Cool. You know, I'm not on the clock right now. I'll just talk to you like you're any other person. I'm no judgment. Then I go to leave the store and something in my bag sets off the sensor. So I go back inside to have everything in my bag looked through because I don't want people to think I'm stealing. All of this is happening in front of my adult client, mind you. The workers go through my bag. The general manager of the store actually takes my bag without me noticing and she starts looking through it. And she's like, you have a lot of stuff from this store here. And I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, and yeah. you're not a klepto, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been. This was at Barnes and Noble. Fuck them. Um, I was at 
I'm like, yeah, I've been a Barnes and Noble member since I was 18. Um, you know, I buy a lot of shit here. And she's like, this is really questionable. And mind you, she's shouting this from the register. So my adult client is seeing me being accused of theft in front of my favorite authors. <laughs> and I'm just like, hole in the ground, open up and swallow me. What the hell? And I went home that evening um, with all my stuff in hand after she was like, you know, I find it really questionable that you have all this stuff. I'm going to let you go. But just know this is this is this is highly questionable. I thought you were going to say that the client had stuffed stuff in your bag while you were looking <laughs> or something like that. Oh, man. But but carry on. And so I go home. Monday rolls around and I am sobbing actively sobbing as I'm getting ready for work and I have depression and I've been suicidal a total of three times in my life. This was the third time that I was looking at the bathtub and I was like, you know, I could run some warm water. I could do this. Thankfully I was pet sitting that weekend and my thought was, no, I don't want them to be the ones to find my body. And that was when I realized this job isn't worth my life. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it really speaks to really the the fact that this kind of job is a public service. You know, I think a lot of times when we think about serving your country, we obviously and rightly think about the military, but I think that this is an equivalent position because you're seeing the worst of the worst that society has to offer in terms of child living situations. Yes, and and what makes it worse is the workers get paid just over the poverty line like they really I mean it's obviously it's not a lucrative career. Yeah. You're, the people who stay with it stay with it because they have a passion. Like I still have friends there that um that have been doing it for, for decades and they're amazing. They're amazing workers. And it gets even more frustrating when you have a client that you've been working with hand in hand here. Like here's another example, nowhere near as bad as the previous, the previous example I gave. Um, she was 17. Um, there was a, murder at a house that she was staying in the cops showed up her child was there brought the child into uh into custody um she was a person of interest in this homicide and for a year i was trying to help this woman reunify with her beautiful beautiful baby boy half the time i couldn't get a hold of her her phone was always being shut off or it was um you know, I would be, I would call it, I would get through and it would be some random person at, on the other end of the line that didn't know her. And then I was like, there was, I was knocking on doors in pretty dangerous neighborhoods. And in these neighborhoods, you don't want to be walking around with a DHS badge because people don't, people don't like DHS. People don't like people who come and take other people's kids. 
or take their kids. So I'm knocking on doors and trying to get a hold of family members, um, trying to get in touch with this girl. And she's lying to her family, saying she's working her services, saying she's showing up for visits, doing all this stuff. And she's just not. So finally, after a year of this, I get my supervisor on board to make the recommendation to terminate, go to court, present that recommendation. And now mind you, I've been going to court every three months for a year, giving them the exact same information. And the judge says, well, we need to give her a second chance. Bitch, this is her 15th chance. God damn. And and that's what's frustrating is people blame DHS like when there are unfortunate incidences of children dying um, after DHS was involved. It wasn't the decision of the workers. If you look at the paperwork, the workers were like, terminate. This person is unsafe. And you have a fucking judge sitting in a courtroom that looks at this parent who maybe, you know, is able to cry about their child for five minutes in a courtroom and says, give them a second chance. It's like, we're not just in the practice of taking these kids away and not trying to get them back to their parents. We're in the practice of working with these parents. And if they don't want to do what they need to do to become not A plus parents, D minus parents. Yeah. We can't do anything. It just speaks to how fucked up people are that they can't even get their shit together for their kid. Yeah. Yeah, Um, And I wanted to ask you to your point about just getting people up to sort of barely satisfying the minimum requirements. Doesn't some of this come down to what the state considers to be an acceptable living circumstance? Like I know here in Georgia, for example, as long as a child has like a a room with a door that can open and close and some sort of bedding, that is considered an adequate living space for that child. So in theory, you could put like a little mattress down in a closet and that would be enough. So Oklahoma is a rare case. Um, Several states were brought, were brought in a lawsuit, um, were filed against in a lawsuit um, by a child safety advocacy group. Oklahoma and one other state that I can't remember settled out of court. And what resulted from this is what we call in Oklahoma, the pinnacle program. And it states what workers have to do to reunify children with their parents. And it also defines the safety standards. So yes, if the child is in a room with a pack and play, that is a safe sleeping area as long as there aren't, you know, stuffed animals or anything that they could suffocate on. If the parents don't have electricity or running water, but they can identify how they'll keep their children cool in the summer and warm in the winter and identify where they'll get fresh water, that is a safe living situation. As long as the house doesn't have exposed wires, um, I've been in houses that hoarders would reject getting these people to create a safe path for their children to move through and make sure that they're, they're 
like I mean there could it could be a roach infested living place but that's not unsafe. Yeah, and that's because there are so many situations out there that are so much worse than that and the uh the foster system is just so overrun and it's un- you know it's understaffed and it doesn't have enough money. So I would imagine that you're put in the position of having to say like this isn't the situation I would raise my child in, but this child is not going to die yes. in this place. Yes. And um, another thing with the Pinnacle program is children could no longer go to shelters. So we used to have emergency facilities where a child was brought in at four o'clock in the afternoon and we couldn't find a living situation for the child. They could go stay the evening at a shelter. Well, because of this settlement, the shelters closed down. You would have workers sleeping in the office with their kids. Like, um, and oh my God. it got to the point where sometimes this is this is a little like behind the scenes that I probably shouldn't be saying out loud. When you had teen when you had teen clients if you as the worker knew that they had a safe place to go, however, foster care wouldn't approve them because this person, you know, grandma back in her 20s committed an armed robbery and went to jail. But she, you know, changed her life around and she's been an upstanding citizen for the past 30 years. Um, foster care still would not approve her as a safe living situation. Sometimes, you know, the kids would be like, I'm not, I'm not going with you. I'm running away. Or we would go to pick the kids up and they would like dart out the back window. And what we would say is, here's our card. Call us if he comes back. And 90% of the time, grandma was like, I'm not going to call you if he comes back. And I'm like, you would look at them with this look that was conveying, I'm telling you this because I have to. I see you are a safe person. This child is safe and going to school. If you don't call me, I have no way of, you know, I I can't prove that he lives here, but I'm doing what I have to do. And you, I mean, that's the way you would treat some of the teenagers in custody as well. um, Because it's like, you, first of all, if the child has run away, you can't go like track them down. And there's also the fact that foster placements don't want to take teenagers. So they end up in a group home. And it's just an or and trying to get them placed in a group home, you have to start the the paperwork for that almost 24 hours in advance. So you pick this kid up at like four o'clock in the afternoon, you're staying overnight at the office. So Kirsten, to to wrap this up, I want to say thank you for opening up and sharing all this information. We we really appreciate it. And good on you for realizing that this is not a good space for you to be working in. It, you you needed to get out of it. And so for recognizing that and deciding, I'm out of here. Sorry, this is not good for my well-being anymore. What are you up to now, if you don't mind us sharing? Um, I currently work um, in purchasing for the state of Oklahoma. So I solicit contracts for IT items. Ah, oh, that sounds so much more pleasant. Yeah, that sounds like a much <laughs> happier job. It, it really is because um, 
funny story. As soon as I started um, at my current place of business, I was super bored and I was talking to my friend Allie about how bored I was. And she's like, oh, you should listen to podcasts. And I'm like, oh, I've never listened to a podcast before. She's like, listen to millennial silent hashtag in front. Listen to it. (laughs) Um, I think at that time, you guys might have had like 20, 30 episodes out. And I binged all of them. And I was like, crying, laughing in my cubicle. Um, Oh, I didn't know you were that recent of a listener. So thank you. What's yeah. your friend's name again? Um, Allie, Allie Tonsfeld. So shout out to Allie. Allie, Allie thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for, for planting the seed that led to Kirsten coming here and having this wonderful conversation with us. And now Kirsten gets to travel for work and she gets to check out some different mica chairs all over the country. Yes, which I have migrated to. I am in the, mi- the mica chair now. You so. moved to the mica <laughs> chair. Oh, gosh. <laughs> If you want to put on the mica voice at any point during the episode, please don't hesitate. <laughs> yeah, we have found that when we sit in the mica chair, we become mica. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plug that in over my yes. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for, again kirsten for sharing all that we appreciate it yes and and thank you guys for letting me talk about it um i know that was absolutely i know that was like super dark and it's okay though because we like hearing about people's experiences in this crazy world it's very enlightening okay good (laughs) Yeah, yeah and also i feel like this podcast would not be doing what any of us want to be doing if we weren't willing to have hard conversations. And for everyone who tried, who was skipping past that, you can stop skipping. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yes. If you, if you don't like listening to hard conversations, you can tune back in now. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, what's going on in the 2020 race? Oh my God. There's like 50,000 people running for Democrat (laughs) for the democratic nomination. I'm so tired of this. (laughs) So, excuse me if I don't sound enthusiastic about most of this. So, Beto O'Rourke threw his hat into the ring, although I will say he raised $6.1 million in the first 24 hours, which beat out all of his other competitors, including... (laughs) Even me, Bernie Sanders? No way. Yes. Yeah, so six point one million beat out Bernie's five point nine, Kamala Harris's one point five million, Elizabeth Warren's three hundred thousand. So that surprised me. I mean, doesn't that surprise you that Beto was able to raise so much so quick? Not really. I mean, he was a really successful fundraiser when he was running for Senate against Ted Cruz. So Yeah, but that was just Texas. You know? Yeah, but I think that he has a lot of the same kind of like fire starter energy that bernie does and he simply he's just a much younger candidate there even even bernie supporters are concerned about the fact that if bernie were to win the presidency he would be 80 years old yeah at the beginning of his first term (laughs) i just want to briefly mention better o'rourke now that he's officially campaigning he's like tweeting up a storm he was in wisconsin he went to culver's the fast food restaurant that Pat absolutely loves. So now uh, Pat has donated $5,000 to Beto's campaign. He's off to a great start, I think, with the Wisconsinites. 
do you guys listen to any of the crooked media podcasts like Pod Save America or Yes. Do you th- I love Pod Save America. Oh my gosh. Love it or leave it. Life. <laughs> um do you guys think that the reason why he was able to raise so much money and has such like a foothold in this race is because of the very clear support that John Favreau, John Lovett, and Tommy Vitor and Dan Pfeiffer like give him on the podcast? I bet that's enough to move the needle a little bit, honestly. Because they have yeah. such a big audience. And I mean, honestly, the difference here between O'Rourke's fundraising and Bernie's is, in the grand scheme of things, relative to the amount that they both raised, not that much. Um, and I think that O'Rourke has had more recent fanfare than Bernie has. I mean, Bernie's most recent campaign was to, you know, be reelected as the senator from Vermont, which is like, duh, they're always going to elect him. Um, Whereas O'Rourke was in this nail biting race in which he almost made Texas blue. I mean, he really revealed that Texas is actually kind of a purple state. So that said, I am I I'm predicting right now that I think Beto's long game here is that he's hoping for a VP slot. Yeah, he's proven that he can uh, turn people out. So that would be appealing to. Yeah, definitely. Others. Um, So the next would be Kirsten Gillibrand is also in. She took over Al Franken's seat after it turned out that Al Franken was a dickhead. I know folks from her state are really enthusiastic about her, but I honestly can't say that I know a ton. I just know that her name is Kirsten, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, is because- it pronounced Kirsten? Yeah, because then I you also have Kirsten. Kirsten Nielsen, who, by the way, no, she doesn't get to be part of this group. She spells her name with a fucking J. Screw that bitch. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Kirsten. <laughs> and then next on the list, uh, Joe Biden. Ooh. Oh, wait. No, no. Sorry. I didn't mean it. Not actually. Oh, that that's actually what happened. Uh, <laughs> so what was this dinner that he was at? You know, I tried to find a clip, but he was at some fundraising event, I guess. And he had said on Saturday that he has the most progressive record of anybody running, end quote. And of course, that caused gasps in the audience and then he was like oh oh i'm sorry i need to correct myself anybody who would run and then he said i didn't mean that and he like rubbed his head or something so i don't i actually do believe that he unintentionally announced that he was running because there have been some reports saying he's getting ready to go like he's set on getting started he's probably just getting some stuff together behind the scenes so he has that little slip of the tongue but then yeah. fucking Donald Trump, Monday morning, <laughs> he tweets, Joe Biden got tongue-tied over the weekend when he was unable to properly deliver a very simple line about his decision to run for president. Get used to it, another low IQ individual. <laughs> Donald, oh, Trump, oh my God. Donald Trump, your entire existence is tongue-tied. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Joe Biden didn't even get tongue-tied that's the thing i oh this blew my mind that donald trump was going after somebody for having a weak command of the english language (laughs) wasn't donald trump just like 
dry humping a flag at some sort of conference a week ago <laughs> yeah at cpac he was dry humping a flag oh man yeah what is it with this guy and hugging the flag <laughs> there's so many photos of him doing this has no one told him that's not actually considered re- like respectful of the flag does he want to fuck the flag flaggiality is that what we'll call it <sighs> he i think he wants to fuck everything what if the flag just like spontaneously combusted after he touched it <laughs> oh, that would be a sign <laughs> a dream come true i will say that i think any candidate claiming to have the most progressive record is very dangerous because we know in this age of going back through everything that everyone's ever done in their life ever <laughs> Somebody's going to find some shit and put it on the internet. Also, there's the fact that, like, he wasn't so great on Anita Hill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then also, like every other Democrat, you know, that was elected prior to 2010, I would suppose, he was pro-civil unions before he was pro-gay marriage. So stop saying that. Like... Just just lean into the fact that you are a competent, capable individual who is capable of of growth and, and evolution. <laughs> and creating sentences that make sense. And you yeah, worked with Obama. That too. Yeah. And you're not a pussy grabber and <laughs> very true. You could spell you hamburger. Just- you just have a shit-eating grin. <laughs> <laughs> the bar really for the does. presidency is so low. Um, and then also, I just wanted to give uh, my beloved Stacey Abrams a shout out. She has met with every candidate who's declared so far, including the not yet declared Joe Biden most recently. And I'm wondering, could she also be vying for a VP spot? I would love that. Yeah. I would not like seeing... If it is a male who gets the nomination, I think we have to see a woman in that VP spot. It'll make people who feel upset over Hillary losing uh, feel motivated to go out and vote, I think. I think that'll help. I think it's definitely a factor that should be considered. That said, I kind of wanted to get y'all's pulse on um, Buttigieg. Because I've been looking into him more and more recently, and he, like, there's something about him. And I think it's the fact that he is able to speak about his platform, not from a place of, fuck Trump, we're going to undo everything Trump ever did. Trump is the worst. Because I don't think that's going to help us win the election. Agreed. So... I raved about him a few weeks ago because he's openly gay and he's married and his husband, I actually learned, is um, his campaign manager and also a huge Harry Potter fan. His husband, I saw that. His husband tweeted, I made Pete take the Hogwarts house quiz on Pottermore. He's a Hufflepuff. And then Pete like <laughs> retweeted it and it was like, apparently this is a very important thing to do. So <laughs> I'm in on Pete because he's gay and his husband loves Harry Potter. Uh, but Laura, I haven't heard him speak yet. I'm sorry to say, so I can't I contribute. would recommend to you and anybody listening at home to go on YouTube and look up the CNN town hall that he did 
It's about 45 minutes, but I feel like he's the first of the candidates who has done, who I've seen do these town halls where it doesn't feel like he's pandering. Okay, good. Um, And he actually dives into the questions and answers the questions and doesn't give like a roundabout soundbite answer. Um, So it's, it, feels fresh and different and kind of gives me like Jed Bartlett vibes for all of you West Wing fans out there. Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye on him. Hey, uh, speaking of the presidents, I wanted to mention that we went to the Magic Kingdom a second time during our trip and my brother and Pat wanted to watch the fireworks again. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to watch the fireworks again. We had watched them the night before. I'm going to go to the Hall of Presidents. I'm going to look at that Donald Trump robot. So (laughs) I was like one of very few people watching the Hall of Presidents show instead of the Disney fireworks (laughs) on uh, Friday night, I believe it was. And man, that Donald Trump one is fucked up. Like there's been this rumor that they actually made a Hillary robot because they just assumed that she was going to win. And then when Trump won, I don't know what the word is, but they re-sculpted the Hillary face. Oh, so do you think they had to put, like, a Donald Trump mask on top of Hillary's bone structure? Basically, and, like, spray-tanned it, (laughs) and, of course, the wig. fucking nightmare. The fucking robot gives a double (laughs) thumbs up at one point. And it, it just makes me sick watching the Donald Trump robot stare, look at all these other iconic presidents, because... During the Hall of Presidents show, every single president gets introduced and all the robots look at each president. And it's very cool. But watching Donald Trump stand up there with Abe Lincoln and George Washington and all these others, you just want to vomit. Uh, maybe when he leaves office, we'll pull, um, we'll like just get a whole crowd of people to run into the ride and just like yank his animatronic ass down. Yeah. Oh, and here's another interesting thing. They now have security in the Hall of Presidents during the show whereas they used to not have security in there have they had uh vandalism problems with it or is it just preventative i think it's preventative because obviously donald trump is very divisive and they want to make sure nobody like jumps up there and pulls it down you know people somebody would totally do that yeah so super interesting Anyway, I went to the Hall of Presidents just so I could speak about it on Millennial. <laughs> so They could just take down the Donald Trump animatronic and replace it with like a cold McRib because it's literally the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would smell much better, too. I'm sure. <laughs> cold McRib Trump. <laughs> he just, he seems like something that was spawned from a McRib that sat out too long, like a gremlin. <laughs> We have a couple emails. Let's just go through them really quickly because they are important, I think, in regards to last week's show. This first one comes from Erin. She says, one major difference... Oh, she wanted to respond to our discussion on racism in Canada. She said, one major difference is the fact that while slavery did exist in Canada, it didn't exist on the same scale as the U.S. because there were no large plantations in Canada. That being said, many Canadians still falsely believe that Canada's only relationship to slavery was the Underground Railroad. And there's a tendency amongst some Canadians to assume that Canada's problems with race are not as severe as they are in the U.S. The truth, however, is that racism still exists for all minority groups in Canada. Hate crimes do happen in Canada still today, and there are far right groups that exist in Canada. One of the more extreme instances was the Quebec City mosque shooting in 2017, which left six Muslims dead. 
Racism against indigenous peoples is also a huge problem in Canada, as you mentioned last week. Indigenous people are overrepresented in almost all statistics concerning the correction system, unemployment, homicide, mental health, poverty, and homelessness rates. These issues are very complex, so it's not possible for me to fully explain everything in this email, but hopefully it gives you a better awareness of the topic. So thank you, Aaron, for writing yeah, in with thank that you. Info. Um, we also received something that I think Andrew is going to make you feel a little bit better from Anonymous. Hell yeah. Says, just wanted to write in about the 737 MAX 8 discussion in this week's episode. Although it's no longer an issue with the FAA grounding all 737 MAX 8 and 9s, United actually does not have any MAX 8s. United, United does have 14 MAX 9s, though, so the ground does affect United as well. For credibility on this, I do work for United, and it's been a fairly big discussion internally this week. This guy linked us to his LinkedIn, which I love to help prove. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that before I pasted this in the doc. <laughs> oh, no. no. Don't don't look. I'm unlinking it right now. Oh, well, yeah, the patrons can't shouldn't see it, I guess. But we did. Well, thank you for sharing that person who wrote in. It, it's funny when I board. So I flew United to and from Orlando over the weekend. And when I was leaving Orlando, I'm walking down the jetway. And what do I see? This sign promoting United's Eco Skies. And it says, new fuel-efficient aircraft, big feet, smaller footprint. Proud to introduce the 737 MAX to our fleet. <laughs> We're about to board a plane, and here's United bragging about having 737 MAXs. I think they need to take that sign down. Yeah. <laughs> Not appropriate that's, to That's have a, a fail. <laughs> Proud. <laughs> yeah, sure you are. This week's episode of Millennial is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging. I know this. It can be a struggle to find the right person to hire at Hypable. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Millennial. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash millennial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash millennial. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I. A-L. ZipRecruiter.com slash millennial. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Coming up in... Why did this LinkedIn link move to right below the After Dark block? Oh, I don't know. That was not... <laughs> Maybe that was me. Maybe that was Maybe me. it was. <laughs> Coming up in After Dark today, Pam, what are we discussing? That guy's LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> We just go in and edit everything in his yeah, LinkedIn we're gonna profile. Go, uh, bullet point by bullet point. Yeah. Be like, uh, we don't think you should work for United anymore. That's yeah. right. We think you'd be better suited over here. Um, in all seriousness, we're actually going to talk about the college admissions scandal that rocked the internet and the greater United States. 
just last week. Your support over at patreon.com slash millennial uh, helps keep this show going. Thanks to your support, we were able to hire Jewel, our new social media manager. And by the way, Jewel is going to be joining us on next week's episode of the show. So it'll be fun to have her on. To start off the news, we want to touch on the New Zealand mass shooting. How many people have died now? 50? Yeah, I saw 49 to 50. Um, And I mean, a few dozen injured as well. Um, The first thing I want to say about this is that I think, I mean, at this point, most people know all the details, so I don't think we have to get into that. But I think we should call this what it is, which is a terrorist attack Mm -hmm. perpetrated by white supremacists. And we need to acknowledge that white supremacists are a terrorist group. And they are becoming an increasing threat, not just in the United States, clearly, but around the world. The shooter, who we're not going to name, named Donald Trump as one of the politicians he looks up to. That should say something. Yeah. And then Donald Trump, the idiot that he is, was saying, the fake news is trying to blame me for this shooting. Dude, literally the shooter named you as somebody he looks up to. So, uh, yeah, we're going to blame you. Um, But I think something else that was substantial here is that New Zealand quickly pledged that within the next week, they are going to... Um, proposed new gun control legislation. This reminds me of what happened in Australia. A long time ago, they had an awful mass shooting. And Australia immediately said, no, we're not going to do this anymore. So they put new gun control laws in place. Now their neighbors, New Zealand, have experienced an awful attack of their own. And they're saying enough is enough even though this barely happens there. New Zealand, by the way, I read, has uh, pretty lax gun control laws, which actually kind of surprises me because even though they have these lax laws, they haven't had these issues as frequently as America has. Well, and I wonder if that, and if we have any listeners from New Zealand who um, would like to echo this or perhaps correct me on this, please do. But I don't think that gun culture is the same anywhere else as it is here in the U.S. Gun culture is very much sort of woven into the fabric of our national history and who we are, whether we like it or not. So I think by virtue of that, they probably just don't have as many people seeking that out. And Going into a quick update from some previous news before we launch into this week's news, um, as referenced in the email we read from our anonymous listener, 737 MAX planes have been grounded in the U.S. finally. And also, Andrew, we found out that uh, both the Lion Air and Ethiopia Airlines flights crashed for the same reasons. Is that correct? Yeah, the flight. So the black box was recovered from the ethiopia air flight and the now this hasn't been officially announced yet but what sources have been telling the new york times and other outlets is that the data in terms of how they crashed both crashed has matched up and really i think shame on boeing boeing for not immediately grounding all these 
planes themselves. Every country had to do it themselves. America, by the way, was like second to last. I think the pressure was just too great on America uh, for the Trump administration to to not do this. And credit to Trump for uh, pushing for this. It seems like he was involved in this. Uh, but Boeing, like I said, should have been immediately grounding these planes instead of leaving it up to the countries to do it. Because how could there not have been a connection between the two planes? So I I, I don't know. This seems like a massive fuck up from Boeing, doesn't it? Not not just obviously the software. The software is flawed, but also how they handled it after the second crash in particular. Yeah, I mean, this just shows that it's all about money, and they were really hesitant to take their new premier jet out of the air because I'm sure this is going to cost them a lot of money. But you know, they're also rich, so they'll be fine. Yeah, I think they're going to stop naming their planes Max now. They're going to have to come up with a new word because nobody's going to want to buy or fly on planes with Max in the name. No, right? I'm not going to get on a maximum disaster. That's what I think of these things now. <laughs> oh, Fuck that. Maximum deaths when you fly on this jet. My brother works for Tinker Air Force Base, um, and they actually work on uh, Boeing jets. And I think Boeing might be trying to start a narrative, at least amongst their workers, um, that it was due to pilot error, or at least that's something they were attempting because my brother came in and said that the pilots that flew the two planes didn't have um, all the hours they needed to be flying. So, I don't know, look out for the potential of that narrative coming, because uh, I know that out at Tinker and some of the Boeing places, that's something that's being spread around. That's so interesting, because I know at the very least, they were reporting that the pilot of the Ethiopia Airlines flight was a senior pilot, and that he had all, I think, 8,000 flying hours you had to have in order to qualify for that. And it's been very well reported that the pilots learning about this new plane learned what they supposedly only needed through an iPad. Apparently, Boeing was not offering much training at all, and pilots had even voiced concerns about the lack of training. That was reported in the New York Times over the past couple of weeks. So I'm going to blame Boeing 100% for no proper training on this, for continuing, for thinking the planes should be allowed to continue to fly after the second crash. It's their fault. Absolutely. I just hope they don't like continue to try to spread that obviously falsehood. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's major gaslighting. Yeah. Well, hopefully all the other reporting will prove them wrong. And maybe some pilots should go on camera and be like, hey, we've we voiced our concerns. Fuck them. Yes. Well, we're going to lighten things up a little bit and talk about Disney, some Marvel too. Uh, James Gunn was notably fired from his gig directing the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise over the summer. Um, so now he's back. So Disney has decided to rescind that decision. Uh, so the reason James Gunn was fired is because a couple of unsavory tweets resurfaced and, you know, kind of sparked Disney to, to make the decision to let him go, despite the fact that he's very much the, the voice of these films. He writes them, he directs them. It's kind of, it was kind of shocking at the time because nobody could really kind of figure out how they were going to, uh, keep the, uh, you know, essence of the films going without James Gunn, because he was such an integral part. 
And uh, James Gunn released a statement issuing an apology shortly after the tweets got him fired and basically said that his days of telling jokes that are outrageous and taboo are over. And I guess that really struck a chord with the powers that be over at Disney because Disney Studios president Alan Horn uh, reportedly took Gunn's apology to heart and decided to hire him back. So uh, he's not the only one that was kind of, I guess, behind Gunn all along because the cast notably spoke out as well. The Guardians of the Galaxy cast banded together and released a statement saying that they supported their director. And uh, Dave Bautista, who plays Drax, was also extremely vocal in the time that Gunn was not a part of the third film, uh, saying that he was outraged at a couple of different press events, that Gunn was no longer going to be a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy family. Uh, So I guess that's all water under the bridge now. Uh, But it is interesting that Disney decided to bring him back. What did you guys think about this? This news broke uh, kind of right before the weekend kicked off last week. So pretty fresh still. My interpretation here is that maybe this was the plan all along. Hmm. You know, like maybe they knew that, you know, the court of public opinion is going to do what it always does. But for the most part, the people on this planet have an incredibly short attention span. And if we just say, yeah, he's fired and then bring him back in a few months, nobody's really going to care anymore. I think that they jumped the gun pun intended definitely (laughs) because they know how the public the the court of public opinion reacts so they just wanted to get it over with instead of weeks of bad publicity there would have been like calls for james god needs to step down for weeks and weeks so they said let's just get ahead of it let's just get rid of them they didn't think it through though they didn't they they didn't realize how closely tied James Gunn was to the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy cast goes out, writes this letter of support saying, you know, we stand with Gunn. He, should, he shouldn't have been fired. And then they were trying to find a new director for Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're like, well, shit, the cast has, isn't going to have their heart in the project now because Gunn, who they love, is gone. And... Meanwhile, WB was like, oh, we don't give a fuck about his tweets. They go and hire him for Suicide Squad 2. <laughs> What's the status on that, though, Pam? Like, he's he's going to still have that, I guess? Yeah, so he's still writing and directing the second installment of DC's Suicide Squad franchise. And that's due out in 2021. And then he'll come back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So... Uh, It's kind of an interesting situation because obviously if he had never been uh, let go by Disney, he wouldn't be doing Suicide Squad 2, but now he's locked into this contract. He's back with Guardians. So it's kind of one of those weird moments where this person is being allowed to work on two uh, projects uh, from studios that are kind of direct competitors with each other. So. And and how many people responded negatively when it was announced he would direct Suicide Squad 2? Zero. Zero. But honestly, to be fair, uh, David Ayer's first installment was really bad. So I think people just didn't care. They're like, oh, guns boarding a sinking ship anyway. It's fine. (laughs) But maybe that said to Disney, okay, nobody nobody cared that he tweeted these things. And especially because he's always been very open on social media, which I think a lot of people have appreciated. So he did apologize on social media. And like you say, I think a lot of people, including Bob Iger took his apology to heart 
And so they realized that after all, it wasn't a big deal. And it, it, it didn't warrant firing him. This just all it comes down to. Right. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a stupid move in the first place. What were the tweets about? I don't think I know much about this story because when I read this, I was like, the guy from Project Runway is directing Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> um, so I think one of the tweets in particular that rankled people, rightly so, was he made a joke about pedophilia in like 2010 or something like that. And that was during a period of time in which he was trying to be like a provocateur comedian type. Um, and it, it just ultimately game, came down to a discussion about like, what is the statute of limitations? How severe does something have to be in order to impact your career moving forward? And I think there were sort of two camps of thought on this. The, there was one um, that was like, he didn't, hurt anybody he made an off-color really gross joke that didn't land and then you had you know this other camp that was like yeah but words still matter yeah and he's working for disney (laughs) yeah that is a problem too i mean disney has this very innocent uh public facing image you know they're always the good guys you can't have people who are making jokes about pedophilia involved in your projects but he did apologize. They were a long time ago. By the way, you know, this issue came up with Kevin Hart. Difference is, Kevin Hart didn't apologize. He handled it horribly after the old tweets came out. James Gunn handled it as good as you can. So I'm glad he's back on Guardians of the Galaxy. Now the cast is happy. The moviegoers will be happy because they want a James Gunn directed Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He is responsible for the success of that series. Make period. It work. All right. Well, Speaking of people who are living in two camps right now, bipartisan majorities in both congressional chambers voted to overturn Trump's stupid bullshit national emergency to fund a border wall, and Trump very predictably vetoed the resolution. This was actually his first veto since he's been in office. I'm sure he was really excited to use that veto pen. Yes, yes, I was. And I did want to go ahead and give credit where credit's due. The Senate could not have voted to block Trump's declaration without bipartisan support. So the following 12 Republicans did break rank with their president. Um, Senators Alexander from Tennessee, um, Blunt, Collins, Lee, Moran, Murkowski, Paul, Rand Paul, um, Portman, Romney, Rubio, Toomey, and Wicker. <laughs> Did you just write out Paul? Because it was missing an L, so I added Uh, it for you. (laughs) I just said pow. Pow, yeah. Yeah, well, good for them. Yeah, so I mean, you you got to give it to them. And I think a lot of this is honestly probably due to the fact that these Republicans don't want the precedent to be set so that a Democratic president could throw a temper tantrum and declare a, a national emergency in order to get what they want in the future. And that I, said, this isn't something any president should be able to do. And I know politicians are frequently hypocrites, but some of these people are also on camera in, from the past saying that something like this could never happen. Like they were talking about this back when Obama was apparently uh, stretching his executive muscle. 
They were saying, this, sh- this isn't right. This cannot happen. How dare he? And then Trump goes and does it. And rightfully, they push back like they did when Obama tried. So Yeah. And I mean, I will say a lot of these are very moderate Republicans, some of whom do have challenges coming up in 2020. So you really have to give it to those folks who are kind of putting their neck on the line to represent their values and ultimately protect the country from Trump's executive overreach. And maybe they're reading the tea leaves and they say uh, people in my state are going to want to vote Democrat instead of voting for Trump again. Maybe? Perhaps. That said, um, Trump's national emergency is likely to stand because a two-thirds majority would be needed in both chambers to override the veto. So they would probably get this in the House, but not so much in the Senate. Um, So that emergency is going to stand. But I think what's really interesting here is that this is the first major legislative break between Trump and his own party. And this was something that we saw kind of, um, you know, around the same time in Obama's first term when we got the sort of opposite flip where Congress became overwhelmingly Republican because Democrats couldn't really get over their own infighting. And I feel like that's sort of what we're seeing here now. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that this is reflective that we're moving in the right direction, but who knows? Yeah. One more story this week. When was the last time everybody used MySpace? Do you remember? No. Um, definitely before 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some surprising news this week from MySpace. They have lost all the music that its users uploaded between 2003 and 2015. Oops. MySpace, you might remember, after... It stopped being the Facebook of uh, the internet, tried to become a music site. That was like the place where bands could host their own web page. So music was actually super important on MySpace for a time. As a result of a, of a server migration project recently, all the music between uploaded between 2003 and 2015 has been lost. Here's another interesting angle, though. There are reports that photos and other information that you uploaded to your personal profile has been lost too. Now I've seen a, a couple of people, apparently they've been able to log into their MySpace. They somehow still know their password and they said some of their info is still there. So maybe it's not lost for everybody, but MySpace has at the least lost 12 years worth of music. And it's an important reminder that you need to save your own data. Don't count on Facebook, on Instagram, on other social media networks to forever preserve your data. Luckily, some social networks do let you download your data. Uh, Twitter lets you do this. Facebook lets you do this. I don't think Instagram does right now. You should really have a backup because you never know when Facebook is going to become the next MySpace and then they accidentally lose all your data as well. I, I will say also, and this is not really the same, but if you are a writer and bylines are important to you to apply to other jobs as well, it's a really good idea to figure out a way to archive those online bylines yourself because I was recently in a situation where I was writing for a publication that was then bought by another publication. And when they moved that publication over, they just completely wiped the server. So I don't have, 
you know, two, three years worth of bylines that I wrote for this publication that is now not owned by the same company. Yeah. So the only way that I'm able to track that I actually worked for them is to um, basically show my W-2s. Jewel, who's listening live right now, she, in, in addition to being our social media manager, she's, she's also <laughs> like our background producer. She she says you can t- you can use the Wayback Machine. I agree with oh, that. Have you used that? No, I'm going to try that. Um, oh, it was actually yeah. kind of funny because I, I interviewed for a job at the media company that now owns this uh, site that I used to write for, and they weren't even able to confirm that I worked at this place. Oh, well, like, that they is still fun. needed the tax forms, even though I knew some people that had migrated over. It's just so funny uh, the way things work. But yeah, anyway, um, I'm going to try Wayback Machine and I will get back to you guys to see if that actually works for me. But just to cover your own butts, if you are a writer, um, it would be a good idea to save copies of that, too. Print it out. Mm-hmm. Preserve it the old fashioned way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just want to say I think MySpace should help Facebook out. Facebook needs to learn how to accidentally delete a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, we deleted everybody's profiles. Guess you can't use Facebook anymore. Oh, well. And everybody would be like, oh, darn. By the way, quick aside, Facebook said about a year ago that they were going to uh, introduce a feature where you can delete your Facebook history. That has yet to be introduced. Oh, God, please. I know. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> yeah. And by history, I don't just mean like, you know, the profiles you click on, but just every little piece of information you've ever, uh, every little activity. Like every poke? Every poke, every, every post, every, every Every profile you visit, I guess. Like they have all of that data saved on us. And they said last year when privacy issues started coming to light, they said, we're going to introduce a feature that lets you do that. Maybe one reason that hasn't been introduced yet is because they use all that data. They give it to advertisers who then use it to uh, sell us shit. So maybe they realized, oops, we can't delete all that data. We don't want you to delete it because then we can't put ads in front of you. Uh, Just another reason that Facebook sucks. You know who doesn't suck, though? Postmates. They're our final sponsor this week. And like I said last week, I'm absolutely sure you are aware of on-demand delivery apps. But if you if you haven't tried Postmates yet, now's your chance. We have a great deal that's going to convince you to try it. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service all year round. No more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They are the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. I am most loyal to Postmates because I find it to be the simplest delivery app. It's a clean interface and super easy to browse nearby options so I can quickly order and get it delivered ASAP. On Sunday... Pat and I traveled home from Orlando, and you know what we did for dinner? We sure as hell didn't cook. There's never any food in my kitchen following being away for a trip, and even if there was, we wouldn't have any energy to muster up a meal. So we loaded up Postmates, typed in pizza, (laughs) and ordered from our favorite local pizza place, and we used Postmates for it because local places are also small businesses, meaning they typically have terrible websites and apps. 
I hate ordering from my favorite local pizza places website because it's a piece of crap. It, it looks like it's straight out of the 90s. Uh, but on Postmates, their full menu is available and it's actually easy to order. I want you to try Postmates. I'm going to get you food delivered at no extra cost. Free delivery. To hell with those delivery fees. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. You can eat all your favorite meals throughout the week without having to spend extra to get it delivered. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code hashtag. Not so silent this time. That's code hashtag for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. <coughs> app. <laughs> I'm out of voice. Get anything you need anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code hashtag. It's time now for recommendations and Kirsten as our guest. What is your recommendation? Uh, so my recommendation actually kind of ties into Laura's a bit. Um, it's True Crime Obsessed. It's a podcast hosted by a male and a female. And what they do is they'll watch different true crime documentaries and then they'll talk about it. And they've become so popular over the the course of their show that they've actually been able to reach out and contact like people from uh, the serial podcast uh, and do interviews with them as well. So it's just, they're really funny. Um, it's, it kind of gives you an overview of all these documentaries in case you don't want to watch it or whatever. And then it gives like, it makes it comical, but not in a disrespectful way. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. Pam, what's yours? Uh, well, first, I just want to say really quickly that I checked out Wayback Machine, and I 10 out of 10 recommend that because all my old posts are there, and I'm going to oh cry. Oh, <laughs> Like, all of the exclusive interviews that I did, all of the features I thought were lost forever, they can now go into my portfolio, and yes. Oh, that's oh so exciting. God. Jewel, yeah. you saved the day again. You did save the day. That This is the best decision we ever made. <laughs> Oh, that's, I mean, Pam, if you told me that issue, I would have given you that recommendation as well. But I'm happy for you. Thank okay, you, Jewel. Andrew, don't try and steal Jewel's thunder, okay? <laughs> hey, by the way, if you want to check out my original Harry Potter website, harrypottershouse.com, you can type that shit into the Wayback Machine and you can oh, see it damn. back in 2001. <laughs> yeah, you can probably find my old um, Hogwarts sorting hat Zanga page too. Oh, shit. I didn't know you did that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, my God. Find that. And we need to take it on MuggleCast. <laughs> well, my, my actual recommendation this week is Shrill, which is the new show on Hulu. It stars A.D. Bryant of SNL fame. And it's so, 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 so good. Um, it just really kind of captures the idea of pot body positivity and um, deals with uh, just learning how to accept yourself and like the body that you're in and, uh, you know, really tackles the idea of fat phobia beautifully and um yeah it's just brilliant and everything you're seeing about it on twitter it just is worthy of all of the praise it's getting it's only six episodes and they're 30 minutes each so it's really easy to binge and it's amazing i freaking love ad bryant so i'm definitely gonna check that out she's a gem and she's amazing in this my recommendation is queer eye because it's back season three is here um it's more of the same, but it's just so delightful to watch. I can't help but smile by the end of the episodes. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness is definitely my favorite. Sometimes a couple of these guys, it just seems like they're saying the same shit every time, and it gets 
a little redundant and it doesn't they don't feel as passionate um as Jonathan Van Ness is. I mean, he is just endlessly funny. His <laughs> sense of humor and his delivery and just everything he does cracks me up endlessly. So uh, please watch Queer Eye. If you haven't watched it at all yet, you really need to get on that and stick with it through season three because it's just going to keep making you happy. Well, I can't say that my recommendation is going to make you happy or <laughs> that you'll be smiling by the end of the episodes, but I'm going to recommend The Case Against Adnan Syed on HBO. It's a documentary series. Um, this, of course, is the really popular case that was covered on uh, Serial by Sarah Koenig. What I really like about this show is that it dives even deeper into the case, and it explores a few things that weren't covered in the podcast. I also like the fact that you get to see the faces of some of the familiar voices that you heard on the podcast. So it's really nice to be able to put, um, you know, faces to voices, I guess, you know. And um, yeah, it's really good. A couple episodes are out so far. So... Highly recommend. Cool. Uh, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You did great. And again, thank you for sharing everything that you did. We really appreciate how open you were. Thank you guys for having me. This was super fun. I had such yeah. a great time. Are You, you still, were great. Are you oh, still in the mica chair? I still am. Yes. Still chilling. You know, the nice thing about the mica chair is that you can kick your feet up on the bed because it's always so close to the bed. <laughs> are you doing that right now? Uh, yes, and this one also swivels too. So oh, it's a deluxe. <gasps> Can you chair. imagine Micah in a swivel <laughs> corner chair? Like he'll be he'll like swivel around when you come in the room, and he'll be like he'll be like I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Actually, was- Laura, you're wrong. He would not move that swivel chair at all. <laughs> it, it would just be a normal chair still because Micah doesn't move. He just swivels around, and then he was like, "I was breastfed." <laughs> <laughs> that's like the voice when the the chair turns around <laughs> kirsten i love the fact that you're keeping the chair warm for micah yeah that's sweet <laughs> we'll fly him out there and have him continue to sit in it after, after you leave but uh, it's really nice to hear that somebody actually came into the show through another listener because often our listeners came from mugglecast or another podcast which of course is excellent but it's also nice to hear from people who weren't listening to those other shows. So thank you. You were a doll. Oh, thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm going to cry. Kirsten supports us over at patreon.com slash millennial. You can do that yourself. And if you do, you'll get lots of benefits, including After Dark. You'll be able to tune in live as we record. Thanks, everybody who's listening to us on this Monday night. You get Hashing It Out, which is our pre-show recording where we're talking. This week's is going to be a good 20 minutes. Because ah, we were waiting for Laura. But we had a good discussion while we were waiting for her to show up late. Okay. Um, I can't help it that y'all want to record this thing right after I get off work. <laughs> touche. Touche. Uh, like we said, in After Dark today, we are talking about that college admissions scandal. There's a lot to talk about there. And oh, my God. <laughs> these celebrities who were indicted. Holy <laughs> shit. So we'll talk about all that. And they're stupid kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, they're not stupid. Um, it's not their fault. Um. All right. Okay. We'll talk we'll, about we'll it. We'll get into this in After Dark. Kirsten, I'm going to play your first suggestion for the closing song. Can you explain why you picked this song? So I picked this song um, because I originally heard it on 
true crime obsessed. And it just, I don't know, I think the lyrics are really powerful and really meaningful, even though it's from Pretty Woman, the musical. And you kind of know she's singing, (laughs) she's singing about like, not going back to a life of prostitution, there's still like an element of, like, I'm not going back to settling for what I had before. Yeah, I thought it was a reference to you not going back to working in the child welfare system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go with that. That's better. Uh, All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. Uh, And I'm Kirsten. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Bye, everybody. See ya. I wanted one thing I never got was to be treated like somebody. Just to have one shot, I can't go back. child welfare (laughs) now you got me thinking about working on a dream i'm not quite there yet i'm somewhere in between i hear you talking how i deserve the best a voice inside my head keeps saying don't settle for less Onward? Do I stay? Do I stay for After Dark or? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. You have time if you want to. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I don't want this to end. I'm having a great time. You're so (laughs) sweet. Yeah, I mean, you're cozy in the chair. You're in a hotel room. I'm waiting for Micah to show up, you know. (laughs)